Our sermon text this morning comes from 1 Samuel. It's in chapter 16, 1 Samuel 16. We'll be reading the whole chapter again this morning. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, you can find this on the Pew Bible on page 223. 1 Samuel chapter 16. Today's story is famous. It's about the anointing of David as king. You've got to keep in mind that there's a huge gap between the day... Uh, David was anointed and the day he actually became king. It's actually the same gap uh, between the day Saul was rejected as king and the day Saul died. So there are actually decades of time that pass between our scene here and when David actually takes the throne. But we're going to see there's a purpose in that. Uh, God is working to prepare his people for his purposes in their life. And so let's look, beginning at verse 1. Please hear this morning the reading of God's holy word. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves. And come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked at Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for he will not, for we will not sit down until he comes. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose and went to Ramah. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. And a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servant said to him, Behold, a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when 
The harmful spirit from God is upon you. He will play it and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David, his son, to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service. And Saul loved him greatly, because he, and he became his armor-bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. Well, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God endures forever. Amen. When have you misjudged something on the basis of outward appearance? Have you ever done that? Uh, it's a very human thing to do, isn't it? Uh, we do it in small ways, like the time maybe you have, have literally judged a book by its cover before. And didn't read it, only to find out it might look ugly, but it's got a lot of good things in it. Or, or maybe you've judged the restaurant, you know, that's a rundown shack-looking restaurant, but yet the food in it's the best in town. You've probably done that before. But I also guarantee you and I have both done it in times when the stakes were far higher, when the consequences of choosing based on appearance was far greater. Uh, did you know people take jobs, they quit jobs, they move, they decide where they're going to live, they marry spouses, they vote for leaders, they do all these very important things often on the basis of how things appear, not thinking about how things really are on the inside. That's what this story is about. Nine times the word see is mentioned S-E-E, -E, nine times. Uh, God is seeing, people are seeing, and the two are contrasted. God does not look the way man looks, it says. God looks at the heart, while man looks only at the outward appearance. You see, uh, all the book of Samuel is about this. We've been seeing the results of human choices based on human judgment, human sight. And it has led us nowhere good. It led us to Saul. Uh, it led Saul to all of his disobedience and unfaithfulness as king and finally to his downfall. But now, finally in chapter 16, God starts to show how he sees. And on the basis of that, God makes a new choice, a new king. And from David is going to come blessing and more blessing, even as we see at the end of the passage, even David playing a lyre, playing a musical instrument, brings peace to a tormented man. That's what it's like when we learn how to see the way God sees. And so if you look at your bulletin, we're going to talk about that today. God is better at governing our lives than we are because he sees better than we do. Let's look at three questions. First of all, does God see us? That's the most important first question. Secondly, what does God look for when he sees us? And then finally, 
How does God get what he's looking for? All right, so first of all, does God see us? Have you ever asked that question? It's a very common question for us to ask, especially when things aren't going well, when we've lost, when we've failed, when we're mourning over the loss or over the failure. We often ask, God, do you see what's going on here? Are you looking? If you're looking, what in the world are you going to do about it? Here I am languishing in my sorrow, and I'm not sure that you even pay attention. People often think that way about the Lord. It may be that in verse 1, Samuel is thinking something like that. If you look at verse 1, because it tells us that Samuel is still grieving over Saul. He's still grieving. Now, the problem wasn't that Samuel was grieving. The problem that it was that he was still grieving. That's why God comes to Samuel and says, How long will you grieve over Saul since I have already rejected him as king over Israel? So we, we can understand why Samuel would be grieving. Uh, Samuel had invested a lot of his life into Saul. Samuel was the anointer of Saul. Samuel walked with him through all the good times in the first few years of his reign. And Samuel also walked through him through his bad times. And they, they shared all those memories together. They were probably pretty close because of that. And yet it was clear God had set Saul aside. And so Samuel might wonder, has God's purpose for his kingdom in Israel perished too? Is there going to be a better king than this? After all, Saul looked like the perfect king, and yet he failed. Is there anybody that can succeed? And so it seems that Samuel, as spiritual as he was, sunk into a kind of depression because he did not understand how the Lord was paying attention when it seemed like all the things having to do with God's people were falling away and perishing. And I wonder this morning, can you relate to Samuel? Have you ever grieved? Have you ever been you know, weighed down by a sense of loss and failure in your life that you could hardly get over? God does not blame us for grieving. In fact, God, I don't know if you know this, but God encourages people to grieve. The Bible's full of that, about how to grieve well and how to face sorrow and loss well. The problem is when we grieve too long or too much or for the wrong reasons. And did you know you could grieve too long, too much, and for the wrong reasons? The Bible tells us in the New Testament, we as Christians ought to grieve, but not as those who have no hope. There's a difference, right? You can grieve with hope. And you can grieve as if there is no hope in the world. And this passage is illustrating the difference. Uh, you can grieve as if there is a God who sees. Or you can grieve as if there's not a God who sees. Hope or no hope. And so God comes to Samuel and says, Samuel, look, why are you still grieving? I have already moved on. In fact, I have already, look at verse 1. I have already provided for myself a king among Jesse's sons. Not only have I seen your problem, Samuel, but I've already done something about it. Look at that word provide there in verse 1 at the very end. And that, that word actually is in Hebrew, the word see. It's 
the first of nine times that the word see appears in this story. God says, I have seen for myself a new king to replace Saul better than Saul in Jesse's house. And actually, the word provide or provision in English actually comes from the word to see beforehand. Pro means before. Vision means Y'all know your Latin, right? Vision means vision. (laughs) I even know that Latin. To see ahead of time. God saw ahead of time. God was already there in Samuel's future, if you will, and had already made the provisions that were necessary for that future. Samuel was grieving as if he didn't have hope, as if there weren't a God who saw, and yet there was God all along seeing and making Bringing it into pass, the very things that Israel needed most. God had been with David from childhood and was preparing David for that day when he would be anointed and that day when he would become king. And so Samuel was to go, get off your bed of sorrow, take your horn of oil with which to anoint the new king and get over to Jesse's place and call a prayer meeting. That's what he says. Uh, Take a heifer with you. That's an odd thing to say, but back then to have a prayer meeting, you needed a heifer or some other kind of animal to sacrifice to the Lord before you prayed. So bring a heifer and go and pray. And at that prayer meeting, I'm going to show you who that special person is that I have chosen. And I've chosen on a different basis. I haven't chosen him the way that I chose Saul because I chose Saul at your request. I I chose Saul according to your criteria, outward appearance. Now I'm going to choose David according to what's in his heart. Just wait and see, Samuel. I have already seen. And now it's your turn to see what I have seen of old. There is a God who sees. We do not have to grieve as those who have no hope. It doesn't matter today what you're grieving It could be in the eyes of other people a small thing. And yet we all know to us, nothing that we grieve is small. Right? To the person grieving, no no reason for grieving is a small reason. God knows that. God sees that. And God has already seen to that. It could be something very big that everyone would say, oh man, I get it. You're grieving over that. And yet be careful. Grieve with all your heart. Grieve as God calls you to grieve. Be honest. But do not fall into the black hole that is grief without hope. Know that God sees even what you cannot see. The changes of life, the things that end so that new things can begin, don't approach those those occasions, whether it's switching jobs, whether it's sending your kids away to college, whatever stage you happen to be in, uh, those, those moments of change where you lose something and then gain something. Remember, God's already been there before you got there, and he's already planned out the steps ahead of time for your good and for his glory. Be ready. Be ready for what God is going to do. That's the first thing. God sees us. Please do not doubt that. But secondly, when God sees us, he looks for something in particular, and it's the heart not the appearance. Uh, Samuel goes to this prayer meeting in verses 6 through uh, 13, and he 
we assume he sacrifices the heifer and they begin to pray. And then all of a sudden, here comes Eliab walking into the room. Wow, Eliab. He's handsome. He's ripped. He's tall. Uh, he could play tight end. Taylor Swift would date him. Right? That's Eliab. And Samuel, I mean, think about this. Even Samuel gets it wrong. Which ought to make me stop and pause real quick. If spiritual Samuel looked at things wrong by outward appearance, do you think I do? Do you think you do? Because when Samuel saw that guy, he thought, surely, surely this is the Lord's anointed, his Messiah, his king, and surely... There should be no more debate. Let me just get out my horn of oil and anoint him right here because, wow, what a specimen. And yet notice what God says. It's very instructive to everybody's heart, and it's something we ought to take to heart. Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature. Because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees indeed. But the Lord does not see as man sees. Man and woman look on the, on the outward appearance. And almost exclusively the outward appearance. But the Lord looks on the heart. The same thing is repeated seven times. Abinadab, Shema, all the other seven older sons of Jesse pass, pass across the, the side of Samuel. And every one of them is rejected. Because God is not going to do what the people did. The people at first picked a king based on outward appearance. And that you see where that ended up. Saul. Now, God was going to pick his king on the inward reality. What, what had been furnished in the heart of David by God himself. Remember, we already said it. God had prepared David. He had provided for himself a king in Bethlehem. And God was looking for those well-pleasing characteristics of the heart and of the spirit as his number one criteria. Do any of y'all watch, like me, football? I love football, especially college football. Referees. I have a love-hate relationship with them, as every fan of college football does. When they throw a flag on your team, what do you think? Can you see? Right? Are you blind? When they throw a flag on the other team, it's about time. You hadn't been seeing all those other ones. Finally, you get some eyes. <laughs> right? If you're there in person, right, and the home team gets a, a flag, woo, boo. If the away team gets a flag, yeah. Can you imagine if refs for instant replay said, all right, we can't decide, so we're just going to poll the crowd. <laughs> Cheer now if you think that was a penalty. Woo. Cheer now if you think it wasn't. Imagine if they did that. Would it ever turn out right? No. <laughs> Not ever. Why? We human beings see what we want to see. 
we're biased in many, many situations, and we cannot not see what we basically want to see. We cannot trust our own vision in these things. That's why they send it upstairs to the review people who are supposedly neutral. Most of the time they are, but not always. Uh, they, they send it to New York, you know, and in the NFL where they have this, I, I imagine, a big control room like on Star Wars, and they're just, you know, they're, they're watching all the plays, and it's pretty cool. That's why they do that, because they're trying to take our bias out of the judgment. That's what God is doing now that he's establishing his real kingdom among his people. He's trying to remove the bias. And he is removing the bias. He's not allowing Israel to cheer their way to their next king. To see what they want to see in people and to reject the rest. Instead, God is seeing what he wants to see and putting forward his very just, very faithful, unbiased judgment. And there you have David, the runt sheep boy, whom Jesse did not even think to call to the prayer meeting. And all the last born children of the family said, Amen. That's the way it always is, right? <laughs> Or that's what I'm told about last-born children. He wasn't even invited to the prayer meeting. His own dad didn't think there was any chance he would be the guy. And yet, when David walked in, it's true that it says he was good-looking. says he was ruddy, which, by the way, means he was reddish of complexion. Um, you know, either had a red tint to his hair or he had a full you know, color in his face. He had beautiful eyes, which I think is a compliment for a man or a young man. <laughs> and it says he was handsome. And yet, it's very clear, isn't it? God is not choosing him for any of those reasons. Outward appearance means very little to God. And it should mean very little to us because in reality it means very little. Does being good looking make you a good person? Does being strong and tall and powerful looking make you a good leader? It does not. Not at all. God understands that. God knows what makes someone a good person. It's the interior furniture of the heart. It's, it's the work of the heart that pleases God more than anything else. And yet we live in a crowd-sourced world where we think right and wrong is determined by what the eyes see and what the majority of people see when they look at everything. As one writer says, we live in a world where physical beauty always outranks spiritual depth where success in business and in personal life and even in church tends to be defined in materialistic terms and where personal charisma is prized over character. And yet at every one of those points, God actually values the latter rather than the former. For God, spiritual depth is way more important than physical beauty. Uh, success is not uh, measured in materialistic terms, but spiritual terms. And personal charisma is not the same thing as character, and God loves character more and prizes it more. 
In fact, when God looks at people, what is he looking for? He's looking for a humble, lowly heart that knows its place before God, that knows its sin, that wonders at the love of God for them. The person who longs for God's mercy and the pardon that God gives and the grace that he gives to help. The person who grasps the promises of God by faith. The, the person whose hope is not based on things that you can see, but on things that are hidden behind the veil in heaven. The person whose kindness and love just flows out of them to other people. The love that bears all things and believes all things and hopes all things and endures all things. Those things smell good to God. That's what he's looking for. And yet here we are, often with our best dress contests, our popularity contests, and are polling the crowd to see what is good and what is bad and what is right and what is wrong. And we could not be more mistaken. Listen, this is critical for you to know. When God judges you one day, which he will, he will not judge you by outward appearance. Now, some of us think, good, I'm so glad. <laughs> Others of us might think, man, I was banking on that. He's not going to judge you by outward appearance. He's going to judge you by what he sees and what he alone sees in his heart. I can't see your heart, and neither can the person sitting next to you. God does, and God judges on that basis. Now, now be careful. Don't jump to the conclusion that that's a good thing for you. Okay, a lot of people think that way. They think, all right, I don't, have to, I don't have to listen to you, preacher man. I don't have to do what you say because God knows my heart. I think you've misunderstood what it means for God to know your heart because you've misunderstood what's in your heart. Uh, for God to know your heart ought to make you a little afraid this morning, I'll be honest. Because what you need, what he's looking for, is something you have not produced on your own. It can only be provided by the Lord himself when he invades your life and changes your heart. God judges that way. That's why Christ was the one with whom God was well pleased because he had a perfect heart. And that's why God says above all else, he wants us to live to please the Lord from the heart. Not pleasing men or women, not trying to please people, but please God, because people will be deceived by outward appearances. They're, they're easy to please and hard to please, depending on what it looks like. God is only pleased by what's inside. And so, y'all, and I'm going to talk now, especially to the young people in the room. Do not aim in your life to get a job or go to a school or marry a person only based on outward appearance. Do not make that mistake. Learn and begin to ask God now as a young person, God, give me eyes to see the way you see. Let me see the interior character and judge on that basis, not just on the basis of whether they look good or whether that job will make me look good or whatever. That's a bad idea. And also, as a, as a kid now, God can begin to work in your heart those things that he's looking for. Because look at David. David was the runt, meaning he was the youngest in the family. He was ignored by everybody else because he was so young. And yet God had already been working in David before Samuel ever got there to prepare him to be the kind of man that God was looking for. And kids, God can do that in your heart too from a young age. 
Now, unless the older adults think that I'm not talking to you, God can, it's not too late either. Right? There's no one too old for a mighty work of God's Spirit in the heart to create the character that God wants. God does not see as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. Which leads us to our final thing. How does God get what he's looking for? Which he does, by the way, get what he's looking for. But how? Well, I've already danced around it. It told us in verse 1, God himself provided for himself the king. And so when we meet David there in verse 12 and 13, and David is anointed with Samuel's oil to become the future king, that was not the first time God had anointed him inwardly. God had already been there seeing to David's formation, forming in David what he needed, which is proven by this. As soon as David received the anointing of oil, it says in verse 13, the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him from that day forward. Meaning, the God who had been preparing him now came on him in a new way to equip him to become the future king in a whole new way. That same phrase is used of Saul and of Solomon. This spirit rushing on the person was not, this wasn't the time when David was saved in our terminology. He already was, had a relationship with God. This was God giving him what he needed to become the king. Which is why also we read in the next verse, the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. It wasn't that Saul was saved and then was unsaved. Actually, Saul was never right with God. But Saul did have the spirit to help him become a king, and he resisted the spirit at every turn. And so the spirit departed from Saul. But the spirit came to David, and it says about David, he was with David from that day forward, meaning he never left. Here's the key. When God looks at us, he looks for real character. He looks for things that you and I don't have by nature. So how does he find them? How how is anyone on earth what he's looking for? Only because God has already visited. And God has already seen to that person's character by his grace. God sees us in our sin and yet loves us through his son to make us the people that he's called us to be. Now this ought to give us a lot of hope. Uh, Have any of you parents ever asked your preschooler, go clean your room? And then 15 minutes later, you went to check on the preschooler. What were they doing when you went to check on them? Playing. 100% of the time. How much of the room had been cleaned in that 15, 20 minutes? None. Every time when you say, what are you doing? I told you to clean. What do they say? I need help. That's what Mars have always said. I need help. Will you help me? I don't know how to do it. And, and actually, in reality, they don't know how to do it at that age. But every preschool teacher will tell you, preschoolers, when you help them and show, tell them what to do and are there alongside them, they can be some of your best helpers because they haven't yet reached the part where they think, well, I don't, I'm not going to do what you tell me to do. They'll do it, most of them. Isn't that good? This is what the passage is saying. 
God comes to us and says, clean your room. I'm not looking for curb appeal. I'm looking for your inner interior design to be perfect. And when he comes to visit us, all he can do is find us playing with mud on the floor. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just making it more dirty. I don't know what to do. And God says, but I'm here to help you. I sent my son. He's my king. He's the Messiah. He too was from Bethlehem, that little town of Bethlehem that David was from. He too was not much to look at on the outside. The Bible says he had no form or appearance that we should worship him. He, people didn't look at Jesus and say, oh wow, obvious, that's the son of God. They saw just another man. And yet God had furnished the heart of Christ with all perfection, with all glory and beauty. Why? So that Christ would live for us, die for us on the cross, rise for us, and send the Holy Spirit to never leave us, to help us get this heart of ours clean over time so that the Lord could live there, dwell there, and build his kingdom with people like us. David was provided. And so even at this young age, before David became king, he became Saul's armor-bearer and musician. Isn't that interesting? As soon as the harmful spirit would come on Saul and torment him, which basically meant Saul spent the rest of his days in misery, David, little David, would come in and start playing the guitar. And God would bless even Saul through David's work. Showing this, when God is with you, blessing follows. When God is with you, the heart begins to bless people. On the other hand, Saul shows what it's like when God is not with you because you have refused God. That leads to misery, torment, pettiness, jealousy, strife, violence, etc., etc. When God is with you and when you receive his lordship, blessing, peace, uh, your heart begins to be renovated. Now, this is exactly the opposite of what the world tells us. Is it not? The world says, if you give your heart to Christ, if you submit to God's lordship, you're going to have to stop doing all the things you love to do and start doing all the things you hate to do, and it's going to be so boring, but you're going to get to heaven one day. So just grit your teeth and bear it. Misery now, heaven later. Don't you want that? And most people think, mm, not really was hoping for something a little bit more than that. And the world on the other side says, but if you'll do life your way, if you'll be who you want to be and just do what you want to do all the time, guess what? Freedom, joy, happiness, blessing. You be you. And it'll all be great. Saul is proof. That is a lie. Saul did Saul. Amen? Saul did himself. He did what he wanted to do all the time. He was not free. His life did not end in joy. It was misery and absolute, utter sadness. And that is exactly what happened. God will not be mocked on this. 
This is exactly what will happen if we simply follow our own lead. But with the lead of God, David is the proof. Blessing follows David. This doesn't mean bad things never happen to David, but it means he always has hope. He's always got a song to sing. He's always got some way to please the Lord because the inner furniture of his heart has been changed and renewed. Now, which one do you want? Two ways to live. Submitting to God's way of leading and seeing or trying to see it and lead it yourself. The Bible says anybody who in looking at Jesus sees the Son of God and a Savior for sinners like them and leaves behind life their way to embrace life God's way will find life, period. And you won't just find it once, but life will come to you from that day forward, never to leave. And it renews itself every day. There's refreshment every day if you'll find if you'll seek it. Amen? Do not look as man looks. Man sees the outward appearance, but the Lord sees the heart. 